Till I'm Tiptoed You Dot com The podcast about pop culture Black history and spirituality Yeah It's about to be a great vibe Dr. Tip Gonna take it away Till I'm Tiptoed You Hey y'all, hey, thank you for joining me for another edition of Tell Em Tip Told You. It's your girl, Tip. I am uh, so excited to talk to you. <sighs> Listen, y'all. So let me just run down the things I want to cover. And I, let me just say this. If you saw the BET Award show last night, I don't want you to think I'm biting off Amanda Seals. I had these bullet points <laughs> already listed out. Um, and so when she started doing her monologue, I was like, dang, I'm going to talk about that tomorrow. I'm going to talk about this. I don't want people to think I bit her. So then I went through the whole, do I change uh, the topics for today so nobody thinks I'm imitating or jumping on a bandwagon? And then I was like, you know, forget it. Y'all know who I am. You know, I'm not biting nobody. <laughs> so I'm going to cover the stuff I intended to cover today. And so we're going to start with the BET Awards um, from last night. And then we're going to talk about... Um, just the importance of remembering that policy in many cases is always bigger than performance or it should be considered as more important than performance. And then we'll talk a little bit about Beyonce, um, Black is King film that's coming out and Black Parade that came out last week. And then I'm going to end up with a controversial uh, topic, you know, I don't run from controversy, and that is, and this is the part that I felt like, you know, I didn't want y'all to think I was biting off Amanda Seals, but I'm going to tell you why I don't want Juneteenth to be a national holiday. So let's just jump right in, right? So I, last night, I was so <laughs> pleased with the BET Awards. I was so pleased. Now, let me say this. It was unlike any BET Awards show that I have seen as of late. I'm going to give you the con towards the end of this, but let's just start with the celebration. How it came on was the blackest, blackity, black, black thing I've ever seen on regular network TV. So for those of you who may not know, BET typically only uh, airs the award show on BET and they run it 50 million times, but it's typically only aired on BET. Well, many of us have known that BET is no longer black owned. It's owned by Viacom. And Viacom aired it last night on its networks, which meant it came on CBS. So some of you who may not typically watch the BET Awards were exposed to something relatively new. Um, now, I'm going to talk about the CBS move and why they probably did it. And I'm going to talk about the commercials and why we see are seeing these commercials. Um, but I just want to start with welcoming you to the BET Award experience in case this is your first time. It is. It has traditionally been a very black night that I like to celebrate because I love black art and black music in particular. Um, but last night, like I said, it was just blackity, black, black, black. To have Fight the Power as the intro song hit me in two different ways, right? And I saw somebody on Facebook make this point that aside from the black joy that was enveloped in all of the, the performances last night, I think it's also important to remember why we are doing this. And then in that way, BET Awards last night could have been very somber for those of us who were reflective about it later. So let me tell you what I mean. So Fight the Power um, came out, what, in the 90s? And Public Enemy was this raw, informed, disciplined, 
uh, rap group who had these lyrics that reminded us of police brutality and racism in entertainment and white celebrity racism and all this kind of stuff, right? Fight the Power was a beautiful song. And it was it was like the soundtrack to my, my college years. Um, you know, when I was at FAM, we were very activist oriented, sitting in and I remember sitting in in uh, Truth Building and 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 um, student center and protesting different things. I remember in high school pr- protesting apartheid and all this kind of stuff. So Fight the Power with our Africa medallions and our cross colors and our fubu was very much part of our cultural aesthetic at the moment. And our cultural aesthetic was rooted in resistance to something, right? Resistance to uh, a, a white oppressive context that sought to put us inside a neat little box, right? So even though I found much joy in Fight the Power being the opening song last night and seeing it shift hands from one generation to another, like seeing Chuck D and Nas open and then Rhapsody take it. And it, it was just, y'all, I was full of joy, full, full, full of joy. But in my reflective moments, I'm like, that means ain't shit changed. Nothing has changed that we still have to have a Fight the Power song. Like that was, it's sobering, right? So in the midst of the joy, it's a sobering moment to think about, have we really progressed past whatever it was Chuck D and were writing about? Well, we know what they were writing about, but I'm just saying that, that nothing much has changed. So the award show last night, like I said, I was very impressed that most of the artists uh, delivered songs and presentations related, related to a black aesthetic. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. A black aesthetic and just it felt very celebratory, very celebratory. And and let me also say that there I have a, I had a spiritual moment when they started calling the names of the deceased. I was like, oh, we going there. We invoking some stuff now. It was just a beautiful, beautiful night. Right. Um, now, let me say this. Because I always watch the BET Awards and I'm always on my timeline. If you if you follow me, <laughs> if you are a Facebook friend, because I don't do it on my public po- profiles on Facebook, I only do it on my, on my own personal timeline. But if you're friends with me on Facebook, you know, I clown during any black awards show. Right. It's I, to me, it's a, it's a fun time to have fun with my timeline. And so. Because of that, I am accustomed to my timeline on those evenings being very black. Right. Because, you know, hey, we just having fun about black culture, black aesthetic. Well, I noticed that some people were complaining because they felt like CBS and or BET was pandering to a black audience. Now, because I always watch BET Awards, I was taken aback. But again, I gave myself a chance to be reflective. And I asked a sister who I respect about her her frustration and where the source of her frustration was coming from. And when she articulated it, it made sense to me. So let me say um, what I think they were trying to that they were saying in the moment that I feel. And then I'm going to tell you why I feel like last night was okay. All right. So there is right now a special moment happening. I'm going to nerd out for this is going to be just a nerd episode. So just I'm going to nerd out several times. Here's your first one. (laughs) Okay, so in critical race theory, there is an idea called interest convergence. And the idea of interest convergence is if you want a white supremacist system 
to give you something or to grant you some concession, you must show them how it benefits them. Right. If you cannot reach the convergence of your interests and their interests, they're not going to give in to your demands. Right. You have to be offering them something. All right. In this particular moment, given the the different social um, protests um, and the racial protests, a lot of U.S. companies are trying to protect their interest. Right. They're trying to ensure their consumer base remains intact. Black folk have a lot of buying power. This is not the episode for going into black business. You know, it's going to anyway, I'm not going into that. But just suffice it to say, we've all heard it. We all should know it, that black folk have an extremely powerful buying base in the in the U.S. economy. Because of that. Companies are interested right now in maintaining their consumer base. In other words, they don't want to piss us off. Right. They're they're seeing what the social moment is and they're playing to that moment. Now, as my dear friend, Dr. Vincent Willis says, white folk don't remain guilty long. Like they don't feel guilt long. So you got to take what you can get from the interest convergence right now. So we are seeing a lot of businesses creating commercials, grant opportunities, programming, et cetera, et cetera that is seeking to play to our consumer base, all right? I want us to be aware that if they wanted to do right by black people, it wouldn't have taken this moment to make them do it. They're doing it because their interests are being served in doing it. It's not about us, except for our dollars, all right? I'm very clear on that, and I want us to be very clear on that. All right. I think the frustration from some watchers and viewers last night was they're tired of being played to in that way. I get it. I get it. I don't have no complaints. If you wanted to turn it off, I hate, let me tell y'all something. I hate that Procter and Gamble commercial called The Look. That's some bullshiggity. And I'm willing to bet ain't no black people sat at the table and created that commercial because it's full of foolish respectability politics. But that's a whole nother story for another day. I'm just saying, Yes, we can. Two things can be true at the same time. Right. Both. I'm a both and girl. Both and can be true. It's not an either or here. Yes, I know that custom companies are playing to our immediate needs. Right. They're playing. Well, not really our needs, their needs. They're playing us. They're trying to play us. I recognize that. But I also, again, recognize interest convergence and I'm going to take it. I'm going to take what you're giving me right now because I don't know when you're going to feel this guilty again. So I'm going to take what I can get. All right. I want more of us, especially those of us who are newly aware to this. And I'm not saying everybody who is frustrated like right now is newly aware to this stuff. But for those of us who recognize the importance of black joy, I'm going to take it how I get it. That was a window for black joy for me last night. I I know what they're doing, but I ain't going to turn it off because I wanted that. Does that make sense? I feel like I'm rambling, but I want, I want you to, to, to really pay attention to why people do what they do. And in last night, Viacom choosing to air the BET Awards, they even had, I can't believe BET said something about they are black power. 
Bob Johnson's BET wouldn't have said that, but that's a whole nother story. I'm just saying it is very performative. I recognize that that's very performative, but it is also a moment where I want my people to hear that. So I'm a both and kind of girl. I know they were trying to play us, but you know, it benefited me last night. I needed it. I needed it. But I also want to say this um, painting Black Lives Matter in the streets and all this kind of stuff. The mayor of D.C. was the first person that I know of that ordered Black Lives Matter to be painted down the street. Right. 16th. Okay, that's wonderful. But she her budget does not reflect that performance. Many of the cities who are allowing this um, public art to be displayed are not. It is performance. It, the policy is not in alignment with what they're performing. I want us to pay attention to that because policy in those cases is more important. I don't care if you never, you can paint a thin blue line down the middle of the street. I don't give a rat's ass as long as you're defunding the police. You see what I'm saying? I would rather see the policies in place that affect the well-being of my people than a mural in the middle of the street. Now, both are important. I think there's something to be said for yeah, um, I've said it before. I study material culture. It's something to be said for public art displays. That is a marker of something. But I don't want us to ever think that it is greater than the actual policy it is that most of these protesters are fighting for. All right. So that's just a. I mean, it's, it's complicated and it's complex and it's nuanced and it's just we got to reflect, right? Part of what is happening right now is we are bombarded with so many images and stories that are affecting us emotionally that we have to, we're forgetting to sit and reflect on why it affects us emotionally, what the consequences of that effect are, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I want us to unpack ideas and things later. I want us to look at big pictures. Um, and so I think we have to look at that big picture of interest convergence and policy being greater than performance and all that kind of stuff. Um, I also want to talk a little bit about Beyonce and because she chose to release the trailer. Now, those of us on social media, we saw the trailer like, was it a day or two before last night? I can't remember if it was the day before or two days before the BET show, but we had seen the trailer. The trailer was released. So most people saw it last night for Black is King. I cannot wait. <laughs> I cannot wait. The images are so beautiful and so powerful. And I just, the, um, I got Sun Ra vibes. I got Earth, Wind, and Fire vibes. I got Fela vibes. Like I, Nina vibes. I'm so excited to see what this is going to be. And she came out with Black Parade on Juneteenth. Now, let me say this. I have seen black folk, quote unquote, woke black folk critique her for her art, right? So I'm going to divide it into two parts. I'm going to start with the Orisha stuff. So as a Lukumi devotee, I am protective of the traditions and I do not want people to trivialize our systems of belief. But this ain't no exclusive social club, y'all. I really want more African descendants to be able to tie into our cultural traditions. And if it takes a celebrity to do that, I'm cool with it. But I'm amazed at the number of people that act like she can't possibly have Oshun made or she can't possibly be a real devotee. Well, how you know? 
Well, I mean, there are ways that that we tend to know if somebody is initiated, but you don't know if she's no. She don't. You don't know if if she's aborisha. How would you know that? I'm just. It, it's so many people. I, I'm just. I think you hear what I'm saying. That we we act like we can lay ownership over the traditions, and that the traditions aren't here for African descendants. They are here for us. Why wouldn't she, why shouldn't she have access to it? And if her celebration and these things, listen, do you think Oshun wants her to stay quiet about Oshun? Like I, people who, who say she shouldn't be, do you know who Oshun is? Some of y'all don't. Of course she's enjoying being celebrated. And of course she's enjoying being celebrated by a woman who could possibly bring more people to celebrate Oshun. If you know Oshun, you know that. Right. So I don't I don't understand how we act like this is an exclusive social club. Now, I'm not talking about trivializing the traditions. I do think anybody who comes to it should be ready to be disciplined, pluck some chickens and mop some floors and all that kind of good stuff. I I, I want them to learn the systems and the science. I want them to do it respectfully. But I don't have no problems with people making other African descendants interested in learning about their people. I just wanted to say that. I also want to talk a little bit about what I think Beyonce is doing in this moment, right? Because I, I keep hearing these quote unquote woke people talking about her performing blackness. Now, this is separate from the performance of these cities to me. And I'm going to explain why. I want Beyonce and others to perform blackness in this moment. I think that is the role of the black artist. Now, if you've listened to the podcast in any time, you have heard me say that one of my favorite essays of all time is Okot Pipitex, The Artist, The Ruler. It is the artist who sets trends for a society. We need black artists to be immersed in a black aesthetic. Now, perhaps the greatest point in history, because, you know, I say the history holds answers, where we can find... Um, I wanted to say rhetoric, but that it's more than rhetoric where we can find truths about black art and its role in social movements is the black arts movement. Right. And one of the people most responsible for articulating the theoretical stance of the black arts movement is Larry Neal. Um, and he did so um, in 1968, in an article titled The Black Arts Movement, and I'm going to read you the opening paragraph. All right. So this is Larry Neal's The Black Arts Movement, published in 1968 in the Drama Review. All right. It says the black arts movement is radically opposed to any concept of the artist that alienates him from his community. Black art is the aesthetic and spiritual sister of the black power concept. As such, it envisions an art that speaks directly to the needs and aspirations of black America. In order to, to perform this task, the black arts movement proposes a radical reordering of the Western cultural aesthetic. It proposes a separate symbolism, mythology, critique, and iconology. The black arts and the black power concept both relate broadly to the Afro-Americans desire for self-determination and nationhood. Both concepts are nationalistic. One is concerned with the relationship between art and politics, the other with the art of politics. Now, 
Some of y'all are criticizing Beyonce because you feel like she's performing blackness, but recognize that she's operating very much like Larry Neal is suggesting black artists should operate. And again, he's writing in 68. He says that how black artists are carrying themselves is related to the political power of black nationalism. Beyonce is doing exactly what traditionally black artists would have done. When Nina Simone was singing Obia Woman and singing about Dambala, I'm not sure black people in that particular generation were arguing about whether or not she knew Obia or whether or not she really knew who Dambala was. So much that they celebrated the aesthetic of, of invoking these African cultural symbols, right? Same thing is happening with Beyonce. She's talking about Oshun energy and Solange representing Yemoya why are y'all complaining about that? Larry Neal is telling us that we need a radical reordering of Western cultural aesthetic. Ain't that what Beyonce is doing? And I'm not saying that she alone is doing it. There are plenty of lay people doing it. All, all of my custom made, man, well, I won't say all because I got a couple that do the hashtag tell them to told you. I got some hashtag tell them to told you masks. But my other masks are Ankara cloth, Cuba cloth, mud cloth. Like they, they are an African aesthetic, right? Why are we acting like she can't do it? Why are we acting like she can't do it? And why are we acting like her doing it is not politically important? It is politically important in this movement. Let me just, I'm going to read you some more of Larry Neal. He says, the Black Arts Movement issues protest literature. It speaks directly to Black people. Because, he, and then he goes on to say, see, Black protest um, art is about standing in opposition to Black, I'm sorry, in opposition to whiteness, white supremacy. So when you're creating protest art, you're creating art that is standing in opposition to your oppressor. The problem with that, according to Larry Neal and me, <laughs> the problem with that is that you are no longer centering yourself in that, that your enemy becomes what you are focused on. And in that way, as Toni Morrison reminds us, racism is a distraction to your own work. Larry Neal says, on the other hand, what black art associated with the black arts movement was supposed to do was to center the experiences and the aesthetic of black folks. So we're creating things for ourselves. It has nothing to do with nobody else. Now think about Beyonce's lyrics in Black Parade. Everything in there is about us. It's not standing in opposition to anything else. It's about centering our own experiences. That's a beautiful thing. Y'all out here critiquing the wrong stuff. She's giving us a model for what it looks like to stand firmly in place, to center your own existence, your own beauty, your own sense of beauty. She says she's she not finna straighten her edges no more. Do you know how powerful that is? Do you know how many young girls look up to Beyonce? And for her to say, I don't have to, I don't have to slick down my edges no more. Do you know how many young people look up to Beyonce and she's saying, fuck the fade, I'm going to let it dread on up? Do you know how powerful it is for our youth to be chanting or singing, however you want to call it, motherland drip on me? And y'all out here critiquing her? 
some of us critiquing her have not created art where we are centered, where our own aesthetic is centered. Some of us critiquing her ain't done that. And when I say art, I'm not even talking about it doesn't have to be visual art. It doesn't have to be performance art. It doesn't have to be a song. It doesn't have to be a poem, a novel. It could be, are you creating art in your house? Is your family a work of art where blackness is centered? Is your professional development a work of art where your blackness is centered? Like some of us, you know, we could take a clue here. Anyway, very much for why Neil is saying that there's a difference between protest literature and black arts literature. Here's why I don't want, I don't want, and, and Amanda talked about it last night. I do not want Juneteenth to be a national holiday. You will never see me fight for Juneteenth to be a national holiday because I fear, I fear that what would happen is what happened with Memorial Day. Now, Amanda used the Cinco de Mayo thing. Here's the difference between Cinco de Mayo and Memorial Day for me. Even though it is incredibly problematic how we think of Mexicans on Cinco de Mayo, we at least think of Mexican people. Now, I'm saying it's problematic that we we uh, dilute their culture down to some sombreros and some flags and some Corona beers and Taco Tuesday. Right. It's it's a problem that we conflate all of that. And that ain't got shit to do with what really happened on Cinco de Mayo, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's a problem. But at least we still think about Mexicans with Cinco de Mayo. Think about Memorial Day. Up until recently, you probably have celebrated Memorial Day your whole life and never knew that it was a black holiday. Never knew that it was a sacred day for black people to give honor to those who lost their lives in the Civil War. You never knew that until recently. Some of you may have only been hearing that now, this year, or maybe even on this podcast. That's what happens. It is so easy for our culture to be co-opted in such a way it's insidious that culture can can be co-opted in such a way that we forget it's ours in the first place and i'm fearful that hundreds of years from now juneteenth will be celebrated by chads and karens at the local bar with red black and green coasters drinking hennessy on the rocks and forget where that shit came from Greater than that, that they cause us to forget where it came from. We didn't, you know, the people who created Memorial Day and the people that created Juneteenth, we didn't wait for the federal government to say it was okay. Carter G. Woodson didn't wait for the federal government to say Black History Month or Negro History Week. He didn't wait for the federal government. I don't need them to recognize Juneteenth for Juneteenth to be an important part of my culture. I don't need them to recognize Juneteenth for me to celebrate with my family. I don't need them to recognize for me to go buy some watermelon and grill out on that day. I don't need the federal government to recognize Juneteenth. I need us to recognize Juneteenth. See, y'all are acting like the protest writers where you're focusing on trying to make white people do what they don't want to do for you. I give a, oh, I almost cussed hard that time. I don't care. I really, really don't care. You know where my caring concern is? In my community. With my people. I want us to celebrate Juneteenth. I don't care 
if nobody outside of black folk celebrates Juneteenth ever, but I want us to. See, sometimes the things we protest, the, oh, Tony, I'm just, oh y'all, Tony Morrison is brilliant. When, when I, that, I can't get past the idea that racism at its core is a distraction. Because what could you be doing if you weren't resisting that? What would Juneteenth look like if we stopped focusing on trying to write and march and sign petitions for it to be a federal holiday and we started collaborating inside the community to figure out how we're going to do this next year? What are we going to do? Are we going to do a festival? Or, you know, let's do something. Are we going to create some funding for HBCUs? Like we have an annual Juneteenth um, fundraiser and the money is split between the 107 recognized HBC. Like, are, are we going to do that? Are we going to challenge the divine nine to raise as much money as they can by the next Juneteenth and have that money um, go into business incubation? Like, what are we going to do? I, that to me is more important than figuring out how to make it a federal holiday. One is in reaction to something. One is proactively centering yourself. I'm never going to stop asking us to center ourselves. When we choose to do that, I really believe everything else. It can't exist. White, whiteness. Karinga was writing about this in the 80s, so y'all can keep recommending the white lady book to everybody to read. But Karinga was writing more complex ideas about whiteness in the 80s. Anyway, center yourself. See, I, I was, uh, there was a young lady on my, uh, it came across my timeline. She didn't do it on my page, but I saw it on my timeline and I felt moved to say something. Um, but her efforts were about why it's important for white people to read D'Angelo's White Fragility, right? And because they're, oh, the reason white folk are more apt to read that book is because it lets most of them off the hook. <laughs> they don't really have to reflect deeply on what the shit they, but anyway, the issue is white fragility is late. Imagine if you've been sitting in a meeting for four hours and you've been arguing the same argument for four hours. And then all of a sudden, a white woman comes in the room and she says a watered down version of what you just said. And everybody acts like she's a genius. That's what happened with white fragility. There are people now, I'm not even going into that. There, there are people co-opting race work now. And that's anyway. But this, this, this black woman um, on my social media feed yesterday was doing that. Right. And she was talking about how she needs white people to learn better so that they can teach her nephew this and this and this and this. I need white people to learn better so they don't treat my nephew like this, this and this. Girl, really? You think white people and I'm not talking about all white people. I'm talking about racist. Do you think racists are only racist because they ain't read the right book? Is that what you're saying? See, her whole life stands and in. Um, and this is somebody I've known for years. Her life stands in, how do I want to say this? In resistance to perceived black pathology. I have to prove 
to somebody else that I am valuable, that I have value because anyway, so her whole life is in opposition to being perceived as a regular black person. Do you know how much more free it is just to be your damn self and not worry about what your enemy thinks of you? How about instead of worrying about whether or not white teachers treat your nephew well, you surround him with black adults that show him the beauty of his blackness, that you look for alternative and supplemental educational spaces for him, that you demand teachers that care for him in his school. I'm I'm rambling now because I got personal. I want us to stand centered in who we are and stop worrying about everybody else. Stop asking for Juneteenth to be a federal holiday, especially if you just started celebrating it your damn self. All right. I want you to learn more about it before you try to get it to be a federal holiday. All right. I think I have covered everything I wanted to cover. I'm going back through my notes. I think I have covered everything I wanted to cover today. I just want to wish you a beautiful, beautiful um, week this week. We're entering into a new month. Center yourself in it. All right. And if there's anything I can do to help you do it, or if you have questions, comments, or feedback about this particular episode, please feel free to email me at drtip at tellemtiptoldyou.com. I love y'all. Take care. Bye. Today's episode of Tell Em Tip Told You is brought to you by the Freshman Boot Camp. The Freshman Boot Camp is an online course designed to help first-year college students make the adjustment to college life and be successful. You can learn more at www.pogueeducationalconsulting.com. We'll put a link in the show notes for you.